Most of us have, uh, have done this, if not all of us. It's time to upload uh, something uh, on our computers or we, our settings say that we have to um, put in a new version or our insurance comes to us and we have to update it and there's a little box at the bottom after pay, you know, 27 pages that says, I agree, and we click that, I agree, uh, without reading the 27 pages. A Deloitte survey uh, said that uh, out of 2,000 U.S. customers, only 91% read what they are agreeing to. Uh, between ages of 18 and 34, only... Um, uh, 91% don't read, and between ages 18 and 34, 97% don't read uh, before they cl- click, I, I agree. Sometimes it works out good. Um, there was a travel insurance company that um, put something in the middle of these 20 pages of things that agreed to that said, if you are still reading this and you email us, we are going to send you $10,000. And uh, Donald and Andrews uh, after, uh, did it. And after a long time of waiting, they finally got somebody who, who read that. A Manchester-based company in 2017 offered free public Wi-Fi. 22,000 people agreed to it. But there was a fine print at the bottom that says, if you agree to this, you also agree to 1,000 hours of community service, which includes the cleaning of public toilets and relieving sewer blockages. Some might see our text, which is actually just verse number two, as a fine print that Christians don't read until they're after, Christ, uh, after they become Christians, where it says that we are to bear each other's burdens. Now, you remember that Galatians is the first church in Asia, and uh, in Acts 14, when Paul went there, uh, starting out at Antioch, Pisidia, things went really well for Paul. It says that people came out and they kept wanting him to speak. He, he made it to Lystra and he healed a man who had been crippled from birth and everything was really good. And so he writes this letter to a church that is only a few months old, to churches that are only a few months old. And it's somewhat strange that Paul says, you need to bear each other's burdens. Now, that's what I'm going to speak about next week. This is a two-part sermon. I could not get over the hurdle of this word, burdens. Because if you look up the Greek word that, that Paul uses for hurdles, it is something that is extremely heavy. Uh, in other places in the New Testament, this word burden is used for carrying a casket, carrying large stone water jar, jars. It's extremely, extremely heavy and difficult. And what Paul is saying is that everybody as Christians has this heavy, heavy burden that we have to carry, so much so that we have to bear each other's burdens. And I think if I was one of those early Christians in Galatia, I would say, wait a minute. I thought we were in this new kingdom 
uh, with a gracious, saving king. And now you're telling me that I've got this huge thing that I have to carry around with me, this burden? And believe me, they were going to have to carry some burdens. That's why we heard from his first epistle um, where, Paul, where Peter says, look at, don't, don't think it's strange when you've got all these fiery trials coming to you. Don't think it's strange that you are grieved by all these things that are going on. But didn't Jesus say, didn't we just hear Jesus say, my burden is light, my yoke is easy? There's a disconnect here. I couldn't get over that hurdle. You have these heavy burdens as a Christian, and yet Jesus says, my burden is light. I'm going to look just at two points today, just answer two questions. One is, are burdens real? And second, is Jesus' burden light? Burdens are real. If you read the book of Psalms, it is a standing complaint by the psalmist in the Bible of not being able to understand what God is doing in their lives. I don't get it. Where are you, God? I'm all by myself. Those of you that are familiar, and I'll have just a couple of quotes from uh, the the famous English professor C.S. Lewis. You might recall that... uh, Late in life, he fell in love with a a woman named Joy who contracted cancer. And uh, she recovered from the cancer. They got married, and the cancer returned, and she died from from the cancer. And and that was a burden for C.S. Lewis. And he wrote about it anonymously in a a very powerful book called A Grief Observed. Some of you may have read it. But this is what he said as he dealt with this sorrow that he was dealing with. He says it this way. Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy, you turn to him with gratitude and praise. He welcomes you with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting in the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence becomes. And what can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity? and so very absent a help in our time of trouble. We often find ourselves in in that way. I think it's in the human DNA that we believe in karma. Uh, So many different phrases, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Uh, You reap what you sow, that's actually also in Galatians chapter 6. You made your bed, you sleep in it. Quid pro quo, this for that. They got what was coming to them. We have this idea that if we act a certain way, we should get certain results. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we have this unspoken agreement with God. God, I'm going to try my best, so I'm expecting a return from you, an easy life. Here I am at church on Sunday morning. I expect an easy week. 
I pray, I have my quiet time, I give my tithes. There's a couple of problems with this. One is I think that we overestimate our situation um, of what we do and somehow forget the bad things that we do, the thoughts and the actions. One of the giant figures of our early denomination was R.C. Sproul, and I remember him saying, don't ever ask God to give you what you deserve. (laughs) Don't ask God to give you what you deserve. When we look at our lives, when we look our... Most of us, not all of us, but when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we, we kind of think, you know, I'm not that bad. We're able to forget the, the, the things that we've done and our evil thoughts. Another problem is somehow we also think that if we follow Christ, we're, we're offered an easier life. We're promised an easier life. And so we find ourselves confused with these burdens that we, come, that we carry around. Let me describe some of us in this room right now. Unless you think that I'm picking any individual out, you can come to me and I can tell you there's six other people in this congregation that have this problem. So I wasn't thinking about any individual. It's just I've happened to be a, an elder here for 22 years. There are people here or watching online that suffer from almost, almost debilitating depression and anxiety. So much so that they find it difficult at times to get out of bed in the morning. They're so anxious for what the day holds. They're so sad at their lives. There are people here that are physically breaking down, that are mentally breaking down. And every day is a struggle just to make it through the day with the physical ailments and the mental ailments that we carry around with us. There are people here who cannot forgive someone in their lives. And they walk around, and they're probably going to go to their graves with this, with seething anger and resentment at either the cards that have been dealt with them by God or somebody that they just cannot forgive. And it's eating them up. It's destroying them. It's destroying their marriages. There are some of us that live with deep, shame and guilt and regret for the things that we've done in our past. We'll be walking through the day and it comes to our minds, oh, why did I do that? It stays with us. It might have happened 50 years ago, but it stays with us. There are some here that feel that they are absolutely stuck in a loveless marriage that has become more of just tolerating somebody under your roof rather than something that is so beautiful and gorgeous. You feel absolutely stuck. Is this it? Is this it for the rest of my life? There are some here that are trapped by patterns of living and addictions that they've been trying over and over to get over, and yet they can't get over it. Month to month, day to day. There are many who uh, they're living month to month on their paychecks and they, they don't know whether they'll be able to pay their bills. There are many whose hearts are broken over their children, our children, decisions that they've made, lives that they're living 
Or maybe they're very young and you see things in them and you're like, oh no, that's me. Please don't become like me. Some of these are self-inflicted burdens that we carry. Some are burdens that are beyond our control. There's a lot that is beyond our control and brings us heartache. And the longer you live, the more you're going to see this, brothers and sisters. People ask me, well, how was, how was summer 2021? You know how I'm going to remember summer 2021 is two of the most noble men that I've ever met in my life. Alan and John, um, that they died this summer, leaving sons, leaving daughters. There's some things that are just beyond our control. It's, 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 it's just a miracle that I'm actually standing up here right now because this week uh, I direct the Honors College at, at Boise State University and 318-year-olds came this week ahead of classes starting tomorrow. I spent five days with 318-year-olds. Uh, so it's amazing that I'm standing up here right now. <laughs> and they're excited and they're, they're ready to party, finally getting away from home. But on Monday coming back from backpacking in the Pioneer Mountains. I came back to work, and, and before the 300 arrived, my staff came into my office, and they said, um, Dr. Woods, uh, we know that this person is in your class um, who's coming this week. We need to tell you that she's coming from, she was coming from Northern California. And... Uh, she and her mother were driving up here from Northern California to be dropped off to live in the dorms. And when they were on their way uh, in, and they were in Oregon, a semi-truck hit them and the mother and daughter died. Three days after she had turned 18 years old. Now those 300 kids who are partying and, and everything, um, they don't perhaps understand what, what do you do when your wife and your daughter, who just turned 18, when, when they are struck by a semi-truck and they die, on the way to be dropped off? I, I had her ready uh, in my class. How do you deal with that? Things beyond our control. This is a fallen world, and we're not, Christians are not immune from it. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, maybe your question would be, well, why am I going to sign up for that? If, if there are these burdens that you're going to carry around, why should I sign up for that? You remember Jesus constantly telling his disciples, I love you? I could take you to many places where he said that. Remember, he says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Believed in God, believe also in me. Remember he says in John 15, I, no longer uh, do I call you servants, but now I call you friends. One hung himself, ten were martyred, and one was exiled. So how is it, the second part of the sermon this morning, how is it that Jesus says, my burden is light? I think I've described some burdens that some of us are carrying today. How is it that Jesus says, my burden is light? 
How are the Galatians to understand this? First of all, only Jesus Christ can redeem our trials and our burdens. He's the only one that can do it. Sometimes we see it in our lifetime, sometimes we can't. Many of you are familiar with the five missionaries that went down to Ecuador in 1956 to preach to the Alca Indians. And all five of them, they were between the ages of 27 and 32, all five of them were killed and martyred by the Alca Indians. They couldn't see what was going to happen after they were martyred, but that planted the seeds for the Alca Indians to become Christians. God redeems our trials and our burdens. He's not playing with us like we're marbles. He can take that part of you, the part of you that you hate, your unforgiving heart, your loveless marriage. He doesn't want you to stay there. He can use those sorrows to turn you to him, to grow, to lose our self-sufficiency so that we can say with Paul, when I'm the weakest, that's when I'm the strongest. When these burdens are too much to bear, that's when I'm strongest because Jesus is there with me. Perhaps there were turning events in your life, and I was thinking as I was preparing this, of a turning event in my life that made me understand Jesus a little bit more. And it had to do with the burdens that I was carrying. I was in my late 20s. I wasn't doing very well as a husband or a son or a brother or a friend. And people kept telling me, you know you ought to read this book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And I'm, I'm telling you the truth here. I tried seven times to read that book. I could not understand it for the life of me. Many of you know I'm not from the United States, and so I thought maybe it's because of the English in it. I just could not understand it. And so I was going on a business trip across the United States from L.A., I think I was heading to Washington, D.C., and I said, I'm going to try it one more time. And I was in my suit, you know, my business suit. And I, maybe it was over Nebraska, maybe it was over Missouri. But I got to this point, and I just started weeping in my three-piece suit. C.S. Lewis put it this way. If you have a sound education and you're mentally strong, and you're pretty popular, you're likely to say, why do I need God? But if you are a poor creature, poisoned by a wretched upbringing in some house full of vulgar jealousies and senseless quarrels, saddled by no choice of your own with some loathsome sexual perversion, nagged day in and day out by an inferiority complex, that makes you snap at your best friends, do not despair. He knows all about it. You are one of the poor whom he blessed. He knows what a wretched machine you are trying to drive. Keep on. Do what you can. One day, perhaps in another world, but perhaps far sooner than that, he will fling it on the scrap heap and give you a new one. And I was like, Yes, that's what Christ is doing. He's making all things new. You know, 
if we don't believe that God is aware of our burdens and the things that we are carrying, the other alternative is just to believe that everything is just random chance. Somebody dies, well, it's just random. Only Christ gives meaning and can redeem it. And in the midst of our sufferings, he tells us that this life is like one drop of rain in all the oceans, all the waters of the world. That's why Paul says that we, we heard from Rachel, I consider that our present sufferings, they're not worth to be compared with the glory that is to be. This is just momentary. And when Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. Why? Why? My heart is troubled. You're about to go to the cross. I'm about to lose my friend. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. This is just momentary. And on Sunday mornings, what, we're, what we do on Sunday mornings here, whether you're aware of it, this is called convergent space. This, we are looking here that this is not the final reality. There is an ultimate reality. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's almost embarrassing that movie makers have to show us that this is not ultimate reality, whether it's the Matrix or Stranger Things. I mean, they've got a better idea oftentimes than we do that this is not final reality. There is something coming. There is something that exists beyond what we see, the real reality. That heavy burden that you're carrying right now, don't you know Jesus could say what he said when the Romans came to, to kill him, what he told his disciples, he said, look, I could call 10 legions of angels right now. That heavy burden that you're carrying, I could call 10 legions of angels and take it off you, but there's something I want you to learn by this. And then Paul, who wrote this book, I don't know if you know what happened to Paul around 64, 65 AD, um, his head got chopped off in Rome. That that, that was his burden, as well as the burden of caring for the churches. What could Paul not see? Paul couldn't see that his pen was going to turn the Western and the Eastern world upside down. And there were other things that he couldn't see. I think this is really neat. So Galatia, this uh, province that uh, the, this book was written to. I, I'm a historian, so I, this... I'm a nerd that way, so this is really interesting to me. In the 3rd and 4th and 5th centuries, when they did a survey of the province of Galatia, you know what the number one name of boys in Galatia was starting in the 2nd century to the 5th century? It was Paul. Paul was the number one name that parents gave to their sons. You didn't have it before Paul went there, but you had it afterwards. Paul couldn't have known that. He couldn't have known what the book of Romans would do, what the book of Galatians would do. Also, we need to understand that nobody, no human being, has ever suffered more than God has. No one. He's not up there playing with us like he doesn't care, like he's immune from suffering. 
I've told you before that uh, the French atheist Voltaire said, you know, if there's a God, he must be the devil. And Voltaire said that because he looked around at a fallen world, a world that we have created by saying no to God, and all the suffering. But Voltaire didn't know that God entered into our suffering. He doesn't sit back and watch us struggle like he doesn't know what's going on. When you pray for your children, do you ever pray like this? I certainly do every day. God, you're a father, so you know what it's like to love a child. So I'm coming to you right now. I'm praying for my son because you're a father and you know what it is to love somebody. And of course, there's no greater vindication than Jesus' suffering when he rose from the dead and the nations were made his heritage and the ends of the earth are his possession. And then there's this final thing. There's a Broadway play. I guess it's coming out as a movie this, this month. I didn't know that, but I was, I'm very familiar with it as a Broadway play. It's called Dear Evan Hansen. It's a story of an anxious, isolated high school student aching for the desire to belong, to be understood amid the chaos and cruelty of the social media age. And he tells a lie. He tells a lie to his classmates, to his mother. He's being raised by a single mother named Heidi. And he provides false hope in a very, very dark time by this lie. And the lie gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and he gets himself in deeper and deeper trouble, and he can't tell people that this is a lie, even though he knows that if it comes out, it's going to destroy lives if he tells the truth. And he sings this phrase here in the play. No, I'd rather pretend that I'm something better than the broken parts Pretend I'm something other than the mess that I am. Because what if everybody saw? What if everybody knew? Would they like what they saw? Or would they hate it too? All I ever do is run. So how do I step into the sun? Toward the end of the play, Evan finally sits down with his mother and confesses this lie that has affected the entire community. And her response was this, Son, there is nothing that you can do that will stop me from loving you or make me love you any less. You are mine. And Evan Hansen says, If somebody can love me like that, Maybe I can face the truth. Christian, this is what Jesus says to us as we carry our burdens. You're not alone. I am with you. And that way your burden is light because it's not just you. I am there with you. Nothing you can do can make me love you more. And if God can love me like this, if I know that I'm accepted and approved, go ahead. Put me at the burning stake. Go ahead. Let them take my head off. Go ahead, let them laugh at me at work because Christ is with me and his burden is light. 
As I come to the end of this sermon, some of you might think, wow, this is a real downer. Your, your Jesus must have always been frowning. Actually, it's quite the opposite. He begins his first sermon with the words, happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give with you. Not like the peace that the world gives you. I'll give you peace that will lighten your burden. I have abundant life. You don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to pretend on Sunday mornings when somebody says, how are you doing? Oh, everything's great. You don't have to pretend anymore because I'm with you. I love you. I've accepted you. I've approved of you in Jesus Christ. God knows what he's doing. I don't have the power to stop a cell in your body or a cell in my body from going rogue and going into our pancreas. I don't have that ability. Christ does. I don't have the power to change besetting emotions or the death of our dearest ones, which we've experienced and which we will experience. But he knows, and he has the eternal perspective. I'm going to close with with this story, and we're going to sing about it. Horatio Spafford was a Chicago businessman in the businessman in the middle of the 19th century. A, a very good friend of a powerful evangelist. Some of you may have heard of D.L. Moody. Here's a story of how God redeems the hardest things in our life. It's very successful. In 1871, there was a great Chicago fire, and then his son, four-year-old son, died. 1873. The stock market crashed. He lost his business. And so, in his grief, he thought, what I'll do is I'll... I know that D.L. Moody, he's going over to England to, um, to preach over there. I'm going to go over and get England ready to hear Reverend Moody preach. But he had to finish up some paperwork, and so he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him, and uh, he says, and, and I'll join you. As the ship was going over to England, that ship hit another ship, and it sank. And his wife sent this very famous telegram to her husband in Chicago. I alone am saved. Saved alone. Not the four daughters. They all drowned. And so he got on a ship to go over to England to comfort his grieving wife. And on his way over, the captain of the ship he was on said, um, Mr. Stafford, this is, this is where that ship went down, that, where your four daughters were drowned. And he went into his cabin and he wrote a song that is being sung around the world today and a song that we're going to sing that in the midst of all our burdens because Christ is with us it is well it is well with my soul let us pray father you know us better than we know ourselves these Galatians, as they had to face burdens, we, we do too here in the 21st century. And yet we thank you that Christ's burden is light because 
He is with us. Because this is just a moment of time in an eternity of when we will be with you. And as we struggle, help us to know this. As we read your word, help us to know of Christ's victory. And in this convergent space, as we're about to take communion and heaven and earth meets here at this table, help us to remember that Christ is always with us for those of us in Christ. Our hearts break at the loss of loved ones. Our hearts break at the things that we carry, and yet you make all things new. We thank you for that, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.